right, well, thank you to everyone who's come. Um, it seems like the consensus is that the last time anyone saw me, I was this tall. So um, I don't know all of you, but it seems like most of you know me. I'm Vicky's son, um, and we're so thankful that you were able to come celebrate her with us today. So this is going to be hard for all of us, so just we'll keep moving. But um, my mom would have loved that everyone's here and that we're having fun. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to share a short meditation from the scriptures, and then we'll eat, and we'll enjoy each other's company. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we know that you are always good, and you are always righteous, and that you are a God who delights to forgive those who have sinned against you. So we pray today that as we celebrate my mom's life, that you would draw us to you, that the sorrow we feel in our hearts would be an occasion for us to repent and to trust in your son. And once we've shed our tears today and we've shared our memories, we pray that you would continue to encourage us as we think about my mom and as we celebrate her life. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So once we're done here, um, we're going to have a time to share memories. Um, one thing that we, uh, my siblings and I, as we talked about this, knew my mom wouldn't want was a real stuffy formal service. So we're going we're gonna to do this Vicky style, and we're just going to open up the mic to see who has thoughts to share and memories. So if you'll, um, if you'll just bear with me, I've got some, some thoughts from the scripture that I've uh, formulated. My mom and dad spent a lot of money to send me to school, so I figured this is an appropriate way to honor them. <laughs> so I'm going to read a section from the book of Hebrews. Um, this is chapter 9, and it's verses 15 through 28. It says, Therefore, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised internal, eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law has been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled the blood on both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed once to man to die, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly await him. 
When we come to funerals, we often hear that death is a part of life. And we hear that this is natural and that it's something everyone should go through. But that's a lie. Man was not created originally to die. God created a beautiful garden and he placed Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave them a command to work the garden and to spread it and to multiply. And Adam and Eve, for a time, obeyed God and then they were deceived by the devil and they sinned against him. And from that day forward, all men are destined to die and then comes judgment. And we call this first agreement that Adam had with God, we call it the covenant of works. And in this covenant, God promised Adam that if he obeyed him, if he followed the task, if he completed his mission, that he would be rewarded with eternal permanent life. And since that day that Adam failed, all of us have suffered those consequences. When Hebrews talks about the first covenant that was not able to save, that's the covenant it's talking about. And all of us one day will bear the consequences of that sin. And we will face the grave as both my, mo my mother and father have so far. Now, God did not leave his people without a sacrifice. He did not leave his people without a way to rejoin him. And so through the people of Israel over the years came a promise that there would one day be someone who'd come and defeat the serpent and restore God's people to his side. And that person was Jesus Christ. I want to read a little bit more out of the scripture for you because I think this is important for us to understand. My mom was very involved in the church, as you all know, when she was younger. And although she drifted away from the church over time and in her later years, she wasn't able to attend as much as she would like. She loved the Lord and she knew that he wanted to save her. Reading from the book of Luke, this is a, a parable that many of you probably know as Lazarus and Dives or La Lazarus and the rich man. And it reads here, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, being tormented, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, send him to the cross from there to us. And he said, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should raise from the dead. Now, the point of this parable is not necessarily to teach us about the afterlife. I think that everything it says here is true. I think those who are apart from Christ face an eternal torment apart from him. The, the life they chose apart from the Lord in life continues on apart from the Lord in death. 
But what this is to tell us is that even those who are suffering apart from Christ, if they could look back at this life, would tell us to turn to Jesus. They would tell us that the only hope we have of being reunited with God and being reunited with our loved ones who have gone before us is to turn to Christ. Because although we all strive to live a good life, we all strive to honor our parents, we all strive to follow the morals that have been instilled in us, we all fail. And the only option for us is for there to be a perfect sacrifice who lived a perfect righteous life and then died on our behalf. You see, in this covenant, all covenants have stipulations. There are rewards for following the covenant and there are penalties for breaking it. And so Christ had to come and not just suffer in our place on the cross, but he had to live a righteous life because just suffering the consequences of sin is not enough to restore us to God. We also have to be perfectly obedient to that agreement he made with Adam and none of us can do that. 2 Corinthians 5 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God through Christ, who reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling himself to the world, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting us with this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. He goes on to say, For our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the solution. That's the answer. God looked at Christ on the cross and he considered him to be our sin for all who trust in him. And he looks at those who turn to Christ and cast themselves upon his mercy and he looks at them as though they were his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. Seven years ago, I stood before many of you at my father's funeral and I shared with you that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who grieve a loss like this with the hope of eternal life and the reward that God will grant them, with the hope that we will see those who have gone before us in death before us. We will see them again. And then there are those who are apart from Christ who do not have that hope. And that's why Paul, in one of the books to the Thessalonians, tells us that for those who are in Christ, we grieve not as those who have no hope, but as those who do. So my mom taught me to always tell the truth. And she taught me always to share my good things with other people. And I know that if she could tell you one thing right now, if she could come across whatever chasm lies between us now, she would tell you to turn to Jesus Christ. Because right now I firmly believe that she is suffering no more pain. She's suffering no more sorrow. God has wiped away every tear from her eyes. And honestly, she's enjoying her time now. So I beg you and I ask you, if you do not know Jesus, if you do not know the mercy and grace of God, to not squander this opportunity. Every time we come to a funeral, every time we think about death, is an opportunity for us to remember the solution to the problems that we have.
So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to eat some good food, and we're going to have some happy thoughts. We're going to enjoy each other's company. We're going to celebrate my mom. So please just pray with me. Father, again, you are good, you are merciful, and you are gracious. We know that you do not overlook the iniquity of those who hate you, but you are faithful to forgive the sins of thousands of generations of those who love you. So I pray that you would turn us to yourself, that you would help us to see a pathway forward, and that you would help us to grieve as those who have hope, not as those without. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of of your Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Amen.